Thank you, Jose. We are uh, working on a series here on, on Christian hospitality, hospitality being uh, loving the stranger and seeing hospitality as a central thrust of what Christian mission is. Uh, and one of the things that we wanted to do, because it's not a brand new idea to us as a church, we work through Colossians and Ephesians and Galatians and all three of those books that we work through intently in our house churches. Uh, in addition to the, the, to the sermons over the years, we, we've discussed and preached and taught this idea of hospitality and how we as individuals and families and as a church are to be engaged in this. So one of the things that we wanted to do is to get real practical on this. And you can see in these three passages that that Jose read, um, really three things. What we love, you know, and Jesus is addressing that. If we do not love Jesus above, above all things, then we cannot really be his disciple. And this really is similar to uh, the Ten Commandments, the first of the Ten Commandments, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, is the greatest commandment, Jesus said. And so if we're not oriented as people to love God, we cannot really then love our families, love our, love our spouses, love our kids, love our neighbors. We really can't do anything unless, first and foremost, we are loving God. So the, these passages, we see that what, what we love, they touch on, uh, what our purpose is. Are we going to serve Christ and the kingdom, or are we going to serve other things? So we see what we love. What we love is going to direct our purpose, and our, and our purpose is then going to affect uh, how we spend our time. And so these two passages out of Colossians and Ephesians, uh, again, which are not new to us, um, are specifically addressing non, our, our time with those who don't know God, our time with those who are outside of the community of faith, our time with those who have no hope in this, in, in this life, um, and connecting that with our time, both of them inferring that it's easy for us to um, disregard our relationships with outsiders seemingly because we simply don't make the time, we don't prioritize it. And so that's what I want to look at today, uh, what we love, what our purposes are, and, and then how we spend our time. And they're, they're, are, they're, they're ordered. One has to come before the other, beginning with what we love. And so what are, our, what are the problems that we typically face? Um, one of them is the expectations and demands of everyday life. Uh, Elizabeth Dickinson from the John Hopkins Health Review says this, more than one-third of Americans say they don't have enough time in their day to get things done. Work hours bleeding into home life and a prevailing belief that we need to do it all and do it well have created a feeling of constant activity. Anybody raise your hand if you're starting to feel like you could say this is you. Gallup polls show that our hectic schedules correlate with a precipitous increase in anxiety. The majority of Americans who report not having enough spare time also say they battle stress. You likely don't need studies and surveys to convince you we're a time-starved culture. So we're presenting these challenges to grow in our hospitality. And what I want to do, I do want to say this on the front end. Um, I believe that we as a church, um, I, I don't want to use the phrase, do, we're doing well. I, I would say that we as a church reflect a, 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 a strong culture of hospitality. I think we've, we, we work hard to meet pressing needs within the church and outside of the church. 
Um, and so we're not coming at this series thinking that, hey, you know, we're starting at zero. We've got a ton of work to do. It's, it's mostly a desire to get increasingly practical um, and increasingly focused on this, this, this burden to engage in loving strangers. And so I, 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 I don't want you to feel like we're thinking that um, we're absolutely doing horrible in this sphere. I just see it as a, a strengthening to what we're already doing well. Um, the other problem, so the first problem are, are the expectations and demands of everyday life. The second one is that I, I think that really most, if not all of us, really approach uh, planning and commitment making somewhat haphazardly unreactive. And, and Patrick Lencioni wrote a book a few years ago called uh, Three Questions for the Frantic Family. Um, and he says this, the vast majority of families I know, including my own, would admit that one or more of the following adjectives apply to them. Reactive, scattered, frantic, chaotic, stressed. And if you were to ask them if they were living their lives with a sense of purpose and intentionality that they want, every last one of them would look at you like you were mocking them and say, are you kidding? And he argues that what families need is a, a context, which is a a framework, information and framework, for e evaluating all of the various challenges that come at us in regard to the use of our time and the other resources that we have as families in a church. And I think the third problem, and we're not going to hit this one hard until later in the series, we're going to do a couple messages on this, a lack of unity in the household. If we're talking about households, approaching the use of their household resources, okay, time, money, their home, energy, etc. Um, we've got to be able to do that in a, in a unified way. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of debate and discussion around gender roles, um, but the reason why there are instructions on gender roles in Scripture um, is, is, is for the purpose of the formation of unity so that the households can approach the following of Jesus Christ in unity. I and mean, if, if you look in Ephesians, where the largest, one of some of the most significant passages in the New Testament on, on household order is present, um, chapter 5, 22 through 31, um, that is in the larger context of Paul's exposition starting in chapter 4, on how the Holy Spirit is at work in the church to bring us to a place of unity so we can fulfill Christ's purposes for the church. All right, so regardless of where you fall on the discussion about gender roles, if a, if a household can't come to a place of unity, you'll never fulfill the obligations that Christ has for you. And so that's the third problem. So um, the demands of everyday life, haphazard commitment making and planning, and then lack of unity in the household. So those are the three things that I want to hit on this morning. So we have to begin with asking, what do we love? What do we love? You know, and it's, I think you, I've always found it to be a strange commandment. Love God. <laughs> love Jesus. Okay, these, are, these are commandments, and yet they're commandments that um, require affection, right? Affection, that's where our hearts are at. 
And, and you just can't, uh, affections just can't be switched on or off. Our hearts can't be just switched on or off. We, our hearts, they, they love what, we, what they love, but we can, train, we can train our hearts and our minds on what we love. And I think what we have to do is begin with, okay, what are, what are, what are we loving if we're not loving Jesus, or if we're loving Jesus partially, what are we loving? And I, th- and I think you know, Jesus addresses probably the, one of the biggest temptations that we have. We cannot love our families greater than we love Jesus. Now, Jesus' words are very hard, very strong. I think C.H. Spurgeon once said that um, it is hard words that make hearts soft. And so we have to look at Jesus' hard, hard, Jesus's hard words and acknowledge that our, our, our tendency is going to be to put um, other things prior to Jesus. And one of those things is going to be our spouses, our kids, our parents, um, our own selves. Our own selves. Generally, a wife and a mom will prioritize the family usually out of fear. Generally, the husband and the father uh, will prioritize himself, uh, generally out of selfishness. That's what you see throughout the Old and New Testaments and the the teachings that that are oriented towards um, husbands and wives and mothers and fathers really are geared towards those two things. The husband and father must first love Jesus, care for his family, and steward them to follow Jesus and he must set aside selfishness. We're going, to have a, we're going to have one message just on the challenges to men. And we're going to have a, a message, the message on the challenges to women. Deirdre is going to preach that one. I thought that it would be inappropriate for Lawrence or I to come at the church with that one. Um, and the wife and mother must first love Jesus and align her life with and the life of her family to follow Jesus. And her husband setting aside her fears. Um, both callings will force the individuals to combat what is in our flesh, our tendencies, and how we set things before Jesus Christ. Work cannot be first. Personal fulfillment cannot be first. Our pleasure cannot be first. We really have to place Jesus Christ first. And if we go back to the first uh, sermon that we did on the series, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And what we find is that as you, because as as we come to faith and grow in our faith with with Jesus Christ, we we are increasingly drawn towards Him. That's what the Spirit is doing in us, and and we increasingly want to follow Jesus. And and as we take those steps of obedience in following His commandments, what we discover. Um, is, a, is a greater understanding of Jesus and a greater love for Jesus because he really is bringing about the life that he promised. Because he said, it, you know, you, I am telling you these things so that you would have complete joy. You know, he says, seek first the kingdom of God, then all things will be given to you. I don't know who it was that said, you know, if you seek the world, you'll never find it. But if you seek Christ and his kingdom, you'll get the world. And that's really what Jesus has promised. And so we have this this slow process of discovering that 
as we follow Jesus' commandments and as he, through his spirit, really gives us this sense of meaning and purpose uh, and satisfaction in life and a fullness of his, of, a fullness of his love and the love of the saints, we really begin to discover increasingly that, yes, Jesus really is bringing about my full joy as I seek to follow him and to love him and to fulfill his commandments. Rosaria Butterfield in this book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Now let me, so I've, yeah, I've gotten a few comments. So here's the book, it's a green one. It's out, on the, it's out on the table. I think we have like 15 copies left out there. They're about, I don't know, $15, $16. Um, we've encouraged people to read this book. And what I've, what I've some feedback I've received is that if you, if you kind of approach things with a perfectionist, spirit or an attitude, um, you haven't been enjoying the book too much because she's got a very strong personality and a very strong model. I think she's fair in saying that she's not advocating for everybody to do things like she did. I really enjoyed the book and other people have enjoyed the book, but reading through it, I was like, yep, we're going to have some folks that read this and are going to say, you know, I need to be exactly like this woman and there's no way I can be like that. So, Know that going in and recognize that you're not under law, which means that you don't have to follow uh, specific models or patterns that others are following. The book does a great job of demonstrating a, a spirit of hospitality within a context, and this is why I really like it, within a context of a household and a house church. And, a tr and connected to a larger church. It's got a lot of pieces there that are similar to our, our way of thinking. And uh, so it really does a great job in showing the spirit. And she says, obedience to Jesus, which is dying to self, doing whatever he wants in spite of the cravings of our flesh, renders liberty. So the more we enslave ourselves to Jesus, the more freedom we experience. With arms open wide, with bread and fish to give away, with a shocking recognition for the outcast and the despised, remembering that we were once her. This was true when Jesus walked the earth, and it is true today. In our post-Christian world, where the Christian faith is dismissed and despised, and where Christians' values are seen as the enemy of compassion, care, and diversity. We must love Jesus, and Jesus defines our purpose. And we need to recognize that in a really strong way, Christian hospitality um, is a substantive core and should and, and really makes up a lot of what our missions are uh, as Christian households and as churches. So as we think about what we love and what our purpose is, we, you know, and we're using this series to strengthen and promote hospitality, um, we need to increasingly get clear on this mission. The Future of Christine Pohl Making Room, and this is another book that we've got out there. And the reason why we're, again, promoting these, these books the way that we are is that it's gonna, we have to think about these things and ruminate on these things and discuss these things and, and to spend our time as individuals and as households and as churches thinking. And so reading really helps that. And she does a great job in looking at the from, the, from the first century um, of the church, looking at the church fathers, looking at the writings of the New Testament, really coming up with a comprehensive understanding of, of, of how it was understood and practiced in the early centuries and, and some models for today. Uh, it's, a good, it's a good scholarly resource. And so she says the future of Christ, Christian hospitality is partly tied to the future of the home and the family. 
Recovering hospitality, which we're saying needs to really be a central thrust of our mission, will involve reclaiming the household as a key site for ministry and then reconnecting the household and the church. Okay, again, very similar to how we think about uh, and, and model uh, Christian church and mission um, in the world. So that the two institutions, the home and the church, can work in partnership for the sake of the world. So what we're wanting what we're wanting to do, what we would like to see us do as households, which again is just a continuation of what we've been doing, is really begin to formulate um, clear purposes for our households around hospitality. What is hospitality? My definition, using the resources of your household to meet pressing needs of strangers inside and outside the church making them a part of your family and the family of God. It fulfills the obligations we have to Jesus to love one another and the world around us, especially those who are the outcast and despised. It is a central thrust of the practical application of Christian mission. Again, Rosaria Butterfield says that all Christians are called to practice hospitality in their homes. Households run by single Christians are just as vital necessary and needed in the practice of hospitality as those run by married people. Households without children and households with children each model Christ's blessings. The redeemed rich and the redeemed poor and everyone in between are called to practice Christian hospitality in households, dorm rooms, bus stops, and community gardens. And Christine Poles shows that throughout the ages, there have been four strong characteristics like throughout the centuries. 2,000 years, when Christians engaged in, in significant hospitality, there were four characteristics. Eating meals together, a light hold on material possessions, commitment to a simplified lifestyle, and the overlap of private and public space, which means that strangers are in your lives. These characteristics do not just happen, but they are shaping. And so these are the, these are the four characteristics that, that, I'm, that we are urging uh, the households of the church to adopt. Eating meals together, light hold on material possessions, commitment to a simplified lifestyle, overlap of public and private space. So these are, what, these are the things, this is the lifestyle that we as households need to get unified on, our husbands and our wives and, and us as a church. However, with already overburdened and tightly constrained schedules, Paul argues, trying to offer substantial hospitality can drive us to despair. And, and I think that that's going to be something that we feel as we, as we read these books, as we look at our time, you know, and as, as, as we look at a lot of the stages of lives where our households are at. All right, your, your, your household, when you, you are early into the process of, of having children, you know, those of you, we have a lot of young families having a lot of kids, and the burdens of time are enormous, okay? Um, we have kids that are leaving the house, and the burdens of time are still enormous, right? And, and you know, we look forward to a, a time where our kids will be gone and running their own households and blessing their households. But, and that, then there'll be a lot of differences, but, the, but there'll still be a lot of time because then grandkids. And so we're always in places in our households where the demands are going to be excruciating. 
all right? And it's figuring out how to integrate what we're doing as households um, while serving the needs of others in the church and outside the church that are, that, that's going to prove to be the challenge. And that's where the need for us to be unified as households is really important. And for us to go down these roads and paths together uh, with a strong sense of prayer and dependency upon the Spirit. So those are some of the habits. If you get into these books, you'll also see that the habits that go along with these kinds of mission orientations as households uh, have to be a, a regular cycle of, of worship and expression of gratitude toward God and, and um, efforts and individuals that are really engaged in a prayerful pursuit of God's will in their lives. And then there's a sense of the Spirit's direction and resourcing. It, it, we just can't take a model and, boom, apply it. We have to approach it prayerfully in unity together on these things. So putting to practice, all right? And again, we've had lots of studies and preaching and teaching on some of this background stuff, and that we want to make sure that we have some, some practical things. I think there are four structural pieces that we as households and as individuals um, need to have if we're going to approach this effort, okay? Now, there are, um, I, we've put together just kind of a process and a structure, and over the years, I've, I've and these, this kind of pulling together a few things. Uh, so some of you are familiar with uh, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People as a big, um, you know, business guru, strategic planning kind of guy a couple decades ago. Um, he, he had a, a, a planner that he put together, and he had you identify your roles and responsibilities, and then from that, you would create goals and timesheets and all these kinds of things. It was a planner. Um, Patrick Lencioni had this book, uh, The Three Questions for the Frantic Family, and then there's a current one out. Uh, his name is Jonathan Hyatt. He, he put together a tool called The Full Focus Planner. Okay, and so I'm, I'm kind of pulling together some of these things into a model that works for us, okay? But I'm just arguing, here's what I think has to go into your thinking and planning as a family at some level and in some way. Again, it doesn't have to look just like ours, but I think you have to think about, one, a household purpose. What is your household purpose? It needs to be written out, and if you're married, you need to work on it together, that needs to be something that you're unified and clear on as a, as a household. Then you need to identify your, your, your spheres of responsibility, okay? And I, I have four. And if you look in my, you know, my folders on my computer, it's been this way for over 20 years. I have individual, family, church, and world. Those are my four spheres. I have responsibilities to myself. Okay, I've got to keep myself healthy, and I've got to have habits as, a, as an individual to follow Jesus, to love my family, to love the church, love the neighbor. So I've got individual, family, church, and world, all right? So those are the four spheres that we have as individuals, and as a family, we have responsibility to the family, we have responsibility to the church, we have responsibility to the world. So you've got to think out your purpose statement, you've got to think about your spheres, who are you responsible for? Um, you, then you've got to have some goals, you, you got to have things that you're working towards, put in practical ways, and you the the and you and it needs to they need to be realistic. Now you have long-term goals, you have short-term goals, so five to ten years or beyond, two to five years, immediate like now in the eighteen months. 
Um, and it, but it's helpful, and this is where Jonathan Hyatt's program and the Full Focus Planner is really helpful. Create some habit goals and create achievement goals. And what I saw as I was working through these, Anna and I, um, is that a lot, of, a lot of the goals that we need to have to be on mission in hospitality um, are really habit goals, really habit goals. Um, and so you have a household purpose statement, right? Now, I can post some of these notes afterwards because these are practical things and you may want to have them written down. You have to develop a household purpose statement. You need to identify your spheres of responsibility, which I think are all very general, um, as we see in Scripture. Establish some clear goals, habit goals and achievement goals. And then a fourth thing, and this is really out of Lencioni's and what we have found to just be helpful for us, a weekly meeting, a family week, weekly meeting. All right, We do this on Sunday evenings. We try to do this on, on Sunday evenings. Um, where we sit down and evaluate what we're trying to do, all right? We, we, we pray, and so I, we have the kids identify something to pray for in their own lives, something to pray for in the family, something to pray for in the church, something to pray for in the outside world. Um, and, we, and we try to talk through things. We incorporate some scripture reading into it. Um, but it's just a, one of the disciplines of a family life. And so what I, I want to do is give you a little bit of a sample here. So Lawrence, I think we've got a slide. Okay, so here's our, here's our sample household purpose. So Anna and I just went on a two-week vacation. We took a day uh, to work on some of these things. We usually like to do this once a year. Uh, we haven't done it for a few years, and we have felt the effects of it, so we're really trying to get back into this. So here's our, here's our it's a really general purpose, to love and fear God and keep His commandments, which will lead to fruitfulness and good works and in emotional lives characterized by joy, patience, and gratitude toward God, even in the midst of severe trial. So you see some Gospels in there. You see some Colossians and Ephesians. You see some Old Testament. Um, and, and we really wanted to focus on this, um, not only maturity in our good works. And so, you know, I'm, a, I'm an action guy. You know, if there's a problem, let's see what we need to do to do it and get it fixed. Um, what I've seen in me is a weakness toward action and less inclined towards emotional maturity, okay? And if you look in, and this, this is almost out of the Colossians prayer in chapter 1, verse 9, Paul is praying that we would grow in our good works, that would be pleasing to the Lord, but he also prays that we would grow in, in patience, joy, thankfulness towards God in the midst of severe trial. And that's emotional maturity, and, and really where I see that most of the growth that needs to come in my life and in the life of my family is, is, is in emotional maturity. And so we're really wanting to, to make that a part of how we're evaluating how we're doing as a family. And so Anna and I just spent a little bit of time working this out a couple of weeks ago. Um, and, then, and then this is just a sample of... Um, the ne- go to the next slide, Lawrence. This is just a sample of the habit goals that we put together for the next 18 months, okay? Uh, habit goals versus achievement goals. We've got some on message. I just didn't want to put all the stuff on there that we worked on. But family, en- so the first one, family engagement in cooperative service. So this isn't my set of goals. This isn't Anna's set of goals. This is what we want to do as a family. So as a family, uh, we want to make sure that we're coming together as a family in some way together serving the church, all right, once a week. 
not including the household hosting, because so that's a family thing that we all engage in. Everybody knows, you know, somewhere around 4.30 on Tuesdays, we're all getting ready for house church, okay? They all got their responsibilities, and, and they do them. Um, number two, family engagement and service to the world at least twice a month. Again, that's not just me or just Anna. That's, we as a family are going to do something to serve the world twice a month. Then maybe more, and we're going to pray for God's needs. And one of the, th- one of the things that we want to do, and, and I just talk, we, we want to start just being more disciplined and praying for our neighborhoods, and we walking together around our neighborhoods and praying for it. Now, we pray for our neighbors very regularly, but just we, we feel like there's a, a greater intensity that we could have around just our neighbors, and, and we really need to be praying for those opportunities. Uh, we meet monthly financial goals that ensure our ability to pay for ongoing commitments, giving, needs, bills, etc. Kids' education, regular, you know, that's a habit. You know, Saturday mornings I get up, I do cash flow analysis, catch up on our expenses, where are we at this month, where are we at next week and next month. You know, it, it, those are habit types of things that we need to pull together because as you see, as we try to engage in hospitality, it's going to cost money. All right, we've got to be disciplined about these things and unified. So these things we need to work through as husbands and wives and households. Um, weekly time with each of the kids to foster conversation, meals planned, grocery shopping, tasks assigned, uh, reading at minimum one chapter of the Bible as a family three days a week. We find that's most effective at dinner time when we're all together at least three times a week. Uh, and then structure and conduct weekly meetings to include prayer, full discussion on plans and activities, and weekly tasks. And, and we've had a season where uh, the kids just kind of come to us, and they say, hey, I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to go away with our friends, I want to do this thing at the cabin for the weekend. And we just kind of were saying yes, and a little bit of discussion, but then, you know, find out that, ah, man, we didn't think about this, we didn't ask these questions. And, and so haphazardness. And so we're, we're going to strengthen the, the discipline that we have around our Sunday things. And we're telling the kids, hey, if you, bring, if, if you have something that you want to do, okay, bring to us. <laughs> when is it? How much it's going to cost? Wh- who are you going to be with? When are you going to be home? How many days is it going to, you know, all these things. So they're, they're beginning to prepare and plan for their stuff as well. So we're training them to be more intentional about these things and how those things are going to affect habits and disciplines along the way. So, you know, we, um, this is application. This is stuff that we're encouraging you to do. But we come back to this question. You know, what really is at the core of it? We have to ask what we love. And we have to evaluate what we love. And it's really easy to slide in, in serving our families or in building a good household or financial stability, et cetera. And, and these are all good things. It's really easy to slide into those things, thinking that strong families, stable families, financial security for the future, I mean, all my needs. It's easy for us to think that we're being on mission with that because the Bible does put a strong emphasis on family and stability around those things and steadfastness. Um, but it's not mission. It's not all mission. We need strong families in order to fulfill mission. Uh, Russell Moore, just his recent book is called "The Storm-Tossed Family." Says that for a church to for a church to strongly emphasize family is biblical, 
for a church to say that family is the mission is not biblical. And so um, how, do we, how do we really get to address what we love? And, you know, we can, we, when we think about and talk about the gospel, you know, Jesus died for me, and that's an expression of love, and out, and out of Jesus' love, I'm compelled to love him. You know, it, it, um, that can become, it's profound, but it can become familiar. And I think that there are things in our pursuit of obeying Jesus that bring us more in touch. You know, Paul says, I long to know the sufferings of Christ. And in the sufferings of Christ and in fellowship with those sufferings, I come to a deeper knowledge and love and affection and appreciation for him. And so this week, and I, and, I, and I hesitate a little bit to share with you, but I have a responsibility as your pastor to, to, to communicate and, and to serve as a model in some way. Uh, earlier this week, a Sunday night, I was sleeping, and I just had this overwhelming, um, compelling impression, I believe, from the Holy Spirit um, to, to address some very specific things uh, in, in, in my life and in our family. Um, that I, I really felt a strong impression from God to fast for three days. And um, I woke up and kind of was like, well, you know, kind of what is going on? And then, and then uh, had a short dream that kind of confirmed it. And um, because there's just been some burdens, you know, and, and there's a passage in the Gospels where, where Jesus and the disciples are addressing some things, and they're just strongholds, and Jesus says, you know, there's a stronghold that must be addressed by prayer and fasting. And he doesn't get real specific, and it's not, and I'm not saying that this is, you know, like some formula for addressing all of the problems in our lives, but I just really felt a strong impression on that, and I've never fasted for three days. So I decided to do it, and it made several connections for me that I felt deepened my love for Christ and my appreciation for him. You know, Jesus started his ministry with 40 days of fasting. And um, fasting for three days, I felt connect. I was like, how could Jesus have done this for 40 days? It was painful. I was tired. I kept falling asleep during the day. I was cranky. I couldn't wait to go to bed at night and get up. And I didn't change my schedule a whole lot. Um, but, you know, it, that was a, a pretty substantial degree of suffering that Jesus did on our behalf. And I felt like in, in obeying Christ, in pursuing that, I, I came to know and love him more. As Jesus entered the suffering on behalf of others and in obedience to God, um, I, I felt like going into that, because it was it's specifically for somebody else that I'm fasting. And, and, and entering into suffering on somebody else's behalf also helped me appreciate you know, Christ's motivation. And Jesus came to, came to life as a human being to share in our suffering. And that, and that fasting was a, you know, in, in Christ's fasting... And in his suffering, um, I, I felt that, that it, it was also, by, by entering in, you know, the Old Testament calls fasting, afflicting yourself. And, and in, in my fasting, I was entering into self-affliction 
which was also entering into the affliction of the pain of the circumstances that I was fasting for. And so it, 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 it put in me a deeper compassion for the, the things that I was fasting for. Um, and in fasting, weakness was made more apparent, growing my awareness and my need for God. Um, and really, from very early on, and you know, I'm not trying to promote this as some sort of great spiritual feat. I don't think it was. There are people that fast for 30 days and 40 days, and, and I don't, you know, I'm not there. Um, but there was a sobriety and meekness of spirit for the three days that I really felt was a, a, a spiritually um, empowering. So my body was aching and my eyes were hurting. <laughs> But there was a sobriety that Christ brought me. Um, and so I, I bring this up because it's, it was an effort to obey God and to follow his commandments and entering into the suffering that Christ calls us to. And oftentimes we have the words, love Jesus, love God. And Jesus says, if you love me, you're going to obey my commandments. And we want to love God. And if your emotions aren't there, we have to take the step of faith and say, you know what? Jesus promised to fill me with joy if I follow his commandments, which are an expression of love. I don't do it to, to earn his favor. The favor's there. And Jesus says, I'm inviting you into my favor. Walk in it. It's there. Let me pray.